I hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. <laughs> it's been a crazy couple of weeks again. And again, I am recording on the same day that I'm releasing. It's okay. Um, this, this time, it has more to do with the fact that there is a leak in my bedroom, which is causing mold to grow in my ceiling, which makes it hard for me to be in my bedroom for more than a few, you know, a half an hour at a time <laughs> without taking a break. But they came in this morning, they sprayed the ceiling, it's dried out, the mold is not growing anymore, the air is much lighter, I can be in here for a little while without having problems. So we're good. We are good. Other than that, we're thriving. Things are going great. I hope you're all doing great too. School is right around the corner. I'm all registered for classes. I have three days off every week this semester, which is great because I'm going to need it because I'm writing my thesis as well as applying to PhD programs. So it's, it's going to be crazy, but it's going to be great. It's good crazy. It's good crazy. Today is August 11th, 2023. We have four planets still in retrograde. Pluto, Saturn, Neptune, Venus. Lots of shadow work, lots of self-reflective work, lots, that's Pluto. Uh, Saturn, we're going to be looking at structures and our responsibilities within those structures, reflecting on that. Neptune, we're going to be reflecting on our goals, our dreams, our kind of position in spirituality and how we're operating within that. Venus, we might have some exes or people that we had old flames that maybe we didn't get to explore our options with. They're going to keep kind of popping back around. Venus and retrograde is going to be doing that. We also have the Lion's Gate energy is still pumping today. I believe that energy starts to wane tomorrow afternoon, evening time. I don't know much about Lion's Gate talk to like an actual professional astrologer about that. But it peaked on the 8th. And as far as I know, it starts to close on the 12th. If you're curious, Google, Google a local astrologer, ask them about it. They'll probably have more information than me. Yep. That's my advice. <laughs> so we have a quote today from Nikita Dudani, who is I hope I said that right, who is a Reiki practitioner, a therapist, and a tarot reader. And they say, tarot reading is an art based on intuition, interpretation, and perception. And I think that is so accurate. And one of my recommendations for people who have questions about reading tarot is to not only read the key words and read what the book says, but also look at the art on the cards. What does the imagery say to you? How do you feel when you pull that card? Not necessarily what the word on the card says, but how do you feel when you look at the picture on the card? Is it really as scary or as comforting as you think it might be? Or is it telling you something different? Really use your intuition and understand how you perceive what is being presented to you, because that is really how you should be interpreting those 
cards and those messages because they are very, very personalized to you within the generalized scope of what each card means. I also have a Patreon shout out this week, this, this episode. Tracy, thank you. Thank you so much for supporting the show, for being here, for listening, for helping me out in my times of, of trying to, to do this, this crazy thing, this, this podcasting thing. I appreciate you. I appreciate all of you being here, whether you're Patreon supporters or not. But hey, it does help me continue to do this work and it helps me improve my equipment and all of the things. So thank you, Tracy. All right. I'm sure most of you have heard of the Knights Templar. They have kind of gone down in, especially in Christian mythology, as this kind of group of very religious, upstanding men who fought with valor and did all of these amazing things in the name of the church, which is not exactly true. I'm going to talk to you today about the trials of the Knights Templar. So obviously I'm the witchy historian and my show is about the events, the historical events that led up to the witch trials. The Templars was one of the first trials on a large scale that I'm going to be discussing. But first, I'm going to explain kind of some of their origins, where they came from, and how they came to be put under such scrutiny that they were accused of heresy. So the Knights Templar, they can be traced back to the 1100s, early 1100s in Jerusalem. The generalized date that we have for their first position is 1120. And they started out as a very small band of private hired mercenaries that were tasked with protecting the roads that were traveled by Christians to the city of Jerusalem on pilgrimage. Now, there is something to be said about the nature of this mercenary work that the Knights Templar did. It was anti-Semitic and racist in nature. They targeted with their attacks people who were Muslim and Jewish because they wanted to make sure that Christians only were on that road. Now, some groups of the Knights Templar were less likely to attack without reason, without cause, but there is a lot of history that shows that they were rather violent in their actions during this period of time. After nearly a decade of service in this way, they were dedicated into their own independent military order at the Council of Troyes in 1129. Their methods made them an elite fighting force during the Crusades, and they gained a reputation of refusing to retreat or surrender. Because they were not loyal to any particular government, king, or authority other than God, they were incredibly powerful, independently so. 
They were wealthy and very secretive about how they got and used their wealth. They got away with quite a lot during times of crusade and unrest, but this also led them to being suspected of heresy. In 1307, the King of France, who was Philip IV, openly accused the order of heresy, and while the leader, Master Jacques de Molay, was in France to meet with the Pope, the entire order was charged without warning and arrested. So what led up to this highly honored and most elite Christian mercenary crusader group being put on trial across Europe for heresy? Well, after several crusade campaigns, the Templars' wealth grew exponentially so likely because they were being paid for their services by multiple courts and often from the papal accounts as well. However, because of the level of secrecy that the knights operated under, most of the kings and the pope didn't know that the other kings or the pope were also paying up to the knights for the same work. So they were kind of cashing in double, triple, or even quadruple for doing the same work. This left the order open to scrutiny and suspicions of bribery, especially when military campaigns didn't turn out as well as their sponsors had hoped. However, despite all of these murmurings, they were highly popular and the vast majority of people were utterly shocked when the order was arrested. The papacy was also under intense pressure at the time of the Templar trials. So Pope Boniface VIII, his legitimacy as the Pope was being challenged by anti-popes. So anti-popes are other church leaders who are put in place and are acting as popes in certain areas of Christendom or Christian Europe at the time by kings or princes or local authorities. And they're usually acting in direct defiance to the legitimately elected pope. The legitimately elected pope at this point is Boniface VIII. But these anti-popes are acting as if he doesn't exist and they're just acting in direct defiance to him and trying to take his position over. So he's being challenged by these anti-popes. He's being challenged by these kings. But he was also not very popular with his supporters either. He had effectively forced his predecessor, Pope Celestine V, into captivity when Celestine tried to retire. And when the kings responded in protest to this action, Boniface came down on them with an iron fist and he imposed extremely harsh religious laws across Christendom. Philip V of France, in fact, placed a heavy tax on the church, which Boniface refused to pay. Philip's lawyer drew up a list of 29 charges against the Pope, including black magic, sodomy, heresy, and blasphemy. Boniface announced his intent to place France under interdict, which is kind of an ecclesiastical ban 
that bro prohibits the named parties from taking part in the rites and services of the church. So he effectively banned the entire nation of France from acting as it, from taking communion, from being baptized, from taking part of mass, all of the things that are essential to a group of people who strongly identified as Christians at this time. Philip began preparing for revolution against Boniface. He was not having any of it. So Philip's lawyer and one of his buddies, and I'm going to butcher these names, but De Nugare, which is the lawyer, and his friend Skiara Colonna led a small force of men. So they go to where the Pope's at in Anagi. Nope. Anagni. That's how you say it. Again, totally butchered it. They go where the Pope's at. They attack him. They capture him. They held him in captivity for three days. Then the citizens there manage to break through. They free the Pope and they bring him back to Rome. But this old, power-hungry, grumpy Pope, he dies a few days later. And during the conclave during which the new Pope is going to be elected, Philip intervenes to prevent another like heavy-handed kind of papal interference in state matters. And so he makes all of these demands with the Pope, with these candidates. And one of them, Archbishop Bernard de Goth, becomes Pope Clement V in 1305, two years before the accusations fly against the Knights. So, Leading up to these events, the order had loaned Philip a huge amount of money. We're talking like 500,000 livres in this time period is like millions of dollars today. Substantial amount of money. And so they're entrusted also with overseeing his royal treasury, as well as many other royal treasuries. That's how well trusted they were and how highly regarded they were as a group. Philip's massive debts, especially to the Templars specifically, caused him to raise enormous taxes. I mean, they were at an obscene level. And the knights ended up rescuing him during an insurrection that resulted from these ridiculous taxes. Like his people revolted against him. And the knights had to rescue him from that. But Philip's long history of seizing land and people for no reason was soon to reappear. So he has this history of kind of just taking things in order to kind of bolster his bank account, in order to make himself look richer or, oh, look, I've got all these servants and things, when in reality, he just kidnapped a bunch of people. So by the spring of 1307... We're talking March, early April. Philip meets with the Grand Master Mole, right? He's the leader of the Templars at the time. And he's airing his grievances with the order. Well, you guys are this and that, and you're not doing this for me. And Pope Clement sends Philip a letter 
And he's sharing that, you know, I I intend to launch a full investigation of the order. I want to see where all of this money is coming from, where it's all going, how they have all this property. And he plans on launching this investigation in October of 1307. But a week before this investigation was supposed to begin, Clement was informed that the order was in custody under charges of heresy, under the articles of an inquisition that the Pope had not convened. So as you may have guessed, King Philip IV ordered these arrests and the imprisonment of all members of the Order of the Templars. So the order then to prepare to make these arrests, they actually this went out to all of his men in to his bailiffs and his kind of upper lawmen in Sept- on September 14th of 1307. The arrests were to be executed a month later. And at dawn on October 13th, all of the knights of the Templar in France were captured by Philip's soldiers. So Clement He's like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be doing this investigation. Now you've got them all imprisoned in France. What the heck? Clement is livid. He's like, you undermined my authority. I'm the Pope. They're supposed to be like part of a Christian order. They're not working for you. What what are you doing? But Philip doubles down. He's like, well, they're doing this in France, right? Of course, they weren't only doing it in France. He's like, but they're doing it in France. So... Clement relents to Philip, and on November 22nd, Clement issues a papal decree that ordered all Christian monarchs to arrest all Templars and to confiscate their lands. So besides France, the trials occurred in England, Iberia, Germany, Italy, and Cyprus. So these are all of the locations where they had Kings that responded to the papal bull in obedience to it. So, de Molay and Hugh de Perud, they're arrested. So, they're the kind of the head honcho leaders of the Templars in France at the time. They're arrested along with a ton of the other Templars in France itself. The arrested members of the order were subjected to horrible torture. Once the Pope becomes involved, though, any confession that was gained under torture, they all recanted, like, immediately. They were like, nope, we did it. You know, we we confessed because we were under torture. We were under duress. But now the Pope is here, and we know that they're not going to torture us in front of you, so we recant all of our confessions. So since the year 1230, so we're talking about 70... 80 years prior to this, many changes had been made across Europe regarding this type of thing. And it gave monarchs the specific charge to rid Christendom of heresy. And you'll see how this becomes kind of a power trip that some of these monarchs go on over the course of the next several weeks, over these next several history sodes that we do. Witnesses who were caught lying, that whose testimonies were caught, were lies, but were used to convict the accused, 
they went unpunished. There was no recourse as long as they got a conviction. Even those who were found innocent or were members of protected orders, such as the Templars, because they were doing God's work, right? They were subjected to full punishment if heresy was part of the charges. So the charges in France were then for heresy. And I'm going to quote the actual order here. Quote, when professing, the brothers were required to deny Christ to spit on the cross, and to place three obscene kisses on the lower spine, navel, and mouth, obliged to indulge in carnal relations with other members of the order, and wore a small belt which had been consecrated by touching a strange idol, which looked like a human head with a long beard. I mean, I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds like homophobia at the same time. But Anyways, I digress. But on August 12th, 1308, so this is almost a full year after their arrest, the charges were changed. And this specified that the Templars worshipped idols of a cat with a head with three faces. But none of these idols were ever brought forward as proof. No images, nothing. The French trials began October 19, 1307 in Paris. For this first batch, 138 prisoners testified, most of them confessing to one or more of the numerous charges. It is key to remember that these confessions were obtained under torture, and most of them would be considered inadmissible in courts today. So just because these people confessed doesn't mean they were actually doing any of these things. In 1310, the Pope came to France and started the Papal Commission's trial. So the 1310 Commission's trial saw most of those confessions revoked or completely contradicted And in June of 1308, so going back another two years, the trial at Poitiers began in which 54 of the Templars testified to the Pope and a special panel of his cardinals. And again, many confessed here, but then recanted their statements at the 1310 commission. So one of the Templars, Peter Pierre of Bologna, was trained as a lawyer of canon law. So canon law is Christian biblical law or church law. And during the 1310 commission, he demanded, along with a few other of his friends of the Templars, to see the full disclosure of information and evidence against the order. But after the prosecutors lost their lawyer, Clement V intervened and he demanded a full trial and not a commission. So Philip stepped in and then he burned, King Philip, of course, he decided to grab, he snatched 54 of these knights out of prison and he burned them at the stake to prevent their participation in the trial. This is one of the few cases where the accused would be burned alive. In most witch trials or heresy trials, we will see them hung or beheaded first before their bodies were burned. Um, And I'll explain why they were burned posthumously 
when we get to that point. But the commission itself began November 3rd, 1310. But since all of the defenders did not appear, so Peter Pierre wasn't there, they adjourned the court to December 27th. The prisoners then asked for Peter and Renaud de Provence to defend them and were told by the courts that they had been imprisoned. Peter, however, had escaped. Jacques de Molay, who again was the leader in France, eventually confessed and then recanted on March 18th. 1314, along with one of the other lower-level leaders, de Charnay. This sealed their conviction by recanting their confession as relapsed heretics, and this bore a punishment of death. So they're sentenced to death. They're both burned publicly at the stake, and the order is considered disbanded. It is publicly disbanded by the Pope. It's ordered done. May 1312. So again, going back a couple years, it was ordered that all Templar assets were to be given to the Knights Hospitaller, which is a separate group that is not associated with the Templars. The Popple Bull that ordered this did distinguish between unrepentant knights and those who were reconciled to the church. But Philip IV was not the church. He did not care. He confiscated enormous amounts of land and money, and he kept it as compensation for the trials and left little to nothing for the Templars or for the Hospitallers. In England, so that's the French trials. As a lot, they went on for quite a while from 1307 till the end of 1314, and the land never went where it was supposed to go, whole bunch of stuff. In England, though, Edward II was king there. He was a little less suspicious of the order and more suspicious of his royal counterpart in France. So when the arrest of the Templars was ordered there in France, Edward summoned his own steward to share his version of events. Edward then sent a letter to Clement V, as well as to the kings of Portugal, Castile, Aragon, and Sicily, and he took a stance of defense in favor of the knights and asked all of these other kings and the pope to do the same. Edward wrote to the Pope again in December, asking for more evidence and saying that he cannot stand by the charges without proof. On December 20th, he received the order to arrest the Templars in England. Following orders, Edward had his men round up the Templars across England, Ireland, and Scotland, but he housed them relatively comfortably until 1308, when his favorite peers, Gaveston, was exiled. After having to ask Clement and Philip for help getting him back, Edward was a little less gentle with his Templar friends. The church's inquisitors arrived in England in September 1309, but all of the questioning that happened in the presence of the English prelates was done according to English law, and there were no confessions. 
In December 1309, the Pope demanded that the Inquisitors be allowed to torture the prisoners. Edward agreed, but with loud reservations. The living conditions of the imprisoned Templars was made exponentially poorer, and in due time, confessions were obtained from the Count of Ponthieu, or by the Count of Ponthieu, who did not follow English law. Basically, what the church did is hire somebody who was known to use horrible, horrible methods of torture. Two of the men in England confessed to minor offenses, and 14 in Ireland did the same. The rest were executed or imprisoned for life. In Cyprus, things were a little more complicated. So Cyprus was the Templar base of operations, and thus was of particular interest of those with anti-Templar sentiment. So the Prince of Cyprus, as Amalric, um, he also hesitated to arrest the knights that he saw as allies. But in June, they surrendered, and all of their assets were seized, and they were held in prison for three years. King Henry II, who is Amalric's brother, he's restored to the Cyprian throne in 1310. He complies with the Pope's orders. And although he seems to have offered, um, he, he didn't like the Knights Templar. Like, he, they were friends with his brother, not with him. He did not like them. But he offered them a fair trial. All 76 of the accused denied their charges and were acquitted. The Pope demanded a retrial in 1311, but those results were not recorded. The members were still imprisoned when the order was disbanded by papal order, and the leaders in Cyprus died in prison, according to the prison death records. That's the best track that we have about how those trials went. In Germany... The consistency with which the Pope's orders were followed varied heavily by province, mostly because Germany was not a united nation state, but a grouping of independent provinces that was run by princes who reported back to the king or emperor, which kind of depended upon who they were at the time and which title they chose to take. Burchard III of Magdeburg, he seized Templar property in 1308, burned some of the Templars, and then tried to keep the property for himself. In 1310, an inquest with three witnesses occurred near Luxembourg. The knight's property was seized, but they were acquitted. At Mainz, the leaders claimed a miracle occurred when the crosses on their mantles did not burn, which supposedly proved their innocence. Again, they were acquitted. But in Portugal and Aragon, the kings Dennis of Portugal and James II of Aragon both stated that they found no fault of heresy, blasphemy, or immorality in the order. They ceded the Templar lands to the order of Montessa in Aragon and the order of Christ in Portugal, both of which were formed by the Pope uh, John Paul XXII in order to prevent large amounts of Portuguese and Spanish land being given to the foreign hospitalers. The hospitalers were not 
Portuguese, or Spanish. The reason they didn't have a problem with the Knights Templar having that much land is because the Knights Templar were made up of people from various nations. They weren't all from Italy or Rome or whatever, whereas the Hospitallers generally came from one area. So the Templar Trials was the first multinational targeted attack against a singular group on the basis of heresy, which was the primary charge used in witchcraft trials. While the Knights Templar are not necessarily free of blame, they're not necessarily good people, they were most likely innocent of the charges outlined by Pope Clement V and King Philip IV of France. It's also important to note that those charges were used in all of the trials across Europe. King Edward II of England, Prince Almeric and King Henry II of Cyprus, the Princes of Germany, King Denis of Portugal, and King James II of Aragon, all imprisoned, seized assets, and in some cases even executed members of the order on the word and demand of a power-hungry pope and a greedy king who was bad with money. Not one of those other men, kings, princes, filed new charges. While none of the trials that we'll take, that we're, that we're going to continue talking about as we move forward, well, none of them are as geographically widespread as the trials of the Templars, you'll notice some common themes emerge. The most common is that when those in power are facing a threat to their position, instead of analyzing their own actions and what they can do to redirect the path they're on, they tend to point fingers, project, scapegoat, and blame the most disadvantaged members of the society that they rule. And while the Templars themselves were not particularly disadvantaged, they were marginalized because they were not a part of any particular group. They were considered loosely Christian, but they weren't part of any loyalty to any nation or king or church. They weren't even necessarily loyal to the Pope, other than the fact that they were Christian. But that's what I have for you. So some food for thought and things to think about as we move forward and talk about how these types of developments grow throughout the rest of history. If you want to get in touch with me, you can follow me on Instagram at Witchy Historian, on TikTok at The Witchy Historian, Facebook at facebook.com slash the witchy historian, or you can go to the Facebook search bar and you can find me, I believe under like groups or communities. And I am the witchy historian pod listeners. Um, my email is the witchy historian at gmail.com. Or if you want to become a Patreon, a Patreon, Patreon patron, that thing. <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash the witchy historian. And I have three different tiers. Each one gets different things. I'm very slowly launching stuff and getting it off of the ground. I appreciate y'all being patient with me on that. Um, in the meantime, I will see you all on August 25th. We're going to go back to basics again. 
for our witchy sewed and uh, talk about divination. But in the meantime, I hope you all have a great couple of weeks. And for those of you who are starting a new school year between now and then, I hope you have a great start to your school year and uh, have a great one. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye.